You are listening to the Horse Radio Network, part of the Equine Network family. Hi, I'm Jennifer Wood. And I'm Jennifer Connor. From Equestrian Businesswomen, and you're listening to Equestrian B2B, the podcast that brings together industry leaders, entrepreneurs, and equestrians for conversations about how they build and sustain a successful business. On today's show, we speak to two veterinarians about building their businesses, the challenges and the rewards of their businesses, and the state of veterinary medicine. Keelan Redman was born with a love for animals. She raised goats, turkeys, chickens, and other farm animals and was a competitive equestrian by age 11. In the sixth grade, she decided to become a veterinarian, a path from which she never strayed. Following undergraduate work at the University of Kentucky, Keelan attended veterinary school at Auburn University. After an internship at New Jersey Equine Clinic, she began her career in private practice with a focus on the equine athlete. Keelan practices integrated equine sports medicine in Aiken, South Carolina. In addition, she is the founder of Medica Veterinary Products, a line of natural ingredient skin products for horses and dogs. Dr. Dinah Scorch has always loved animals, especially horses. She knew from a young age that she wanted to be a veterinarian and achieved this goal in 2011 with a degree from NC State University College of Veterinary Medicine with a strong interest in equine surgery, the racing industry, and sports medicine. After school, she completed an equine surgical and ambulatory internship at Ocala Equine Hospital in Ocala, Florida where she further developed her interest in lameness and the thoroughbred industry. During her internship, Dr. Scorch also completed the equine acupuncture course at the Chi Institute, now Chi University, to add to her growing interest in treating equine performance horses. After her internship, she moved to New York and joined a large equine ambulatory practice, developing her interest in standard bred racehorses, as well as hunters and jumpers. Dr. Scorch then became certified in equine veterinary spinal manipulation, commonly referred to as equine chiropractic, and equine rehabilitation and sports medicine. In 2018, she left general equine practice to pursue her dream and start Equilibrium Veterinary Services, a practice focused on a balance of complementary medicine, sports medicine, and equine rehabilitation. A lifelong student, she started her master's in traditional Chinese veterinary medicine from Qi University at the beginning of 2020, with a primary focus on horses, although she has started seeing bovine, canine, and feline patients. Dr. Scorch has her own zoo with two dogs, several kitties, several horses, two ferrets, and a snake. In her personal time, she enjoys reading, music, and riding when possible. Hi, guys. We're so excited to have you on the podcast today to talk to you about your business and um, you know how you guys both work in equine veterinary uh, industry and learn more about what you do. So thanks for joining us. Thanks Thank for you. having us. Mm-hmm. So we're going to go ahead and jump right in and talk to you guys about um, the challenges that women face in the equine veterinary medicine. So Dinah, do you want to go ahead and start? Um, sure. Uh, I, I guess um, one of the biggest challenges I started noticing right off um, starting in, in more of a equine racetrack practice was the fact that I'm not a man. Um, and that is a big deal on the track with a lot of the trainers. Um, so dealing with that, uh, starting out was a little bit tough. Um, not so much at the thoroughbred, uh, you know, training centers because I was, um, with mentors at the time. Um, but when I moved to New York and had to start kind of from scratch with the standard bread, trainers, it was definitely a little frustrating at times because it, they were very blatantly um, sexist. Um, <laughs> I <laughs> was definitely not as smart as the male vets that came before me. And it would, mm-hmm. it would just get really frustrating when 
I would say one thing and then, uh, you know, a male veterinarian would come along and say the same thing. And they'd be like, yeah, yeah. He said this I'm like, yeah, so did I, mm-hmm. you know, but I didn't hear that. So that was, I think probably one of the biggest things for me starting um, that, in that, veterinary medicine. Is that something you, that shocked you or did you kind of have an idea that that was going to be an issue for you? I thought it was going to be an issue a little bit starting out, but even now, 11 years later, I get that attitude somewhat. And they're like, well, um, there's a really good friend of mine, um, Dr. Kiefer, Jake Kiefer, um, who is a few years younger than me and has not been doing this quite as long. I trained him with the whole <laughs> like you know, standard bread stuff, and they will defer to what he wants to do because he's a man, quite frankly. And that's how I feel. And maybe I'm misinterpreting it, but you know, if they ask me if I can do X, Y, Z, because Jake can do it. And I'm like, well, yeah. Who do you think taught Jake? (laughs) You know, so that's it. I still find that is the case um, occasionally, but now that I know a lot of these clients more, it happens less often because they know and trust me, but mm-hmm. I do still get the, oh, well, a man can do a better attitude. Um, more so on the racetrack, I think. Mm. And Keelan, how about for you? What were some of the challenges um, for women in the equine medicine? I mean, I would echo 100% Dinah's experience. And I would even go so far as to say, <clears throat> I left racetrack practice thinking I would encounter it less in show horse practice. And um, I'm here to tell you, chauvinism is alive and well in the show horse world. Wow. Um, even amongst the majority of my clients are women. Uh, it doesn't lend the credibility you would assume that it would. Hmm. They believe me feel much more reassured by being told by a man. Um, so, it, you know, exactly as Dinah had said, I, I echo her sentiment 100%. And then I would just add to that, um, it's a very physical job. Mm-hmm. I yeah. think women yes. tend to be smaller framed than your average woman is smaller framed than your average man. And I think that introduces a host of challenges that the first year, the first five years, I feel like speaking for myself, I was a bit like raw about it, but you put a dozen and 15 and 18 years of wear and tear on that body and you realize they're, they're big animals. The equipment's big. You know what I mean? It's heavy. It's big. They're big and it's very repetitive and the physicality of it, um, I think is challenging for women. And it's one of those things that we don't want to, don't want to talk about straight away because it makes it sound like we can't do the job. We can, but mm-hmm. you got to start being smart about the physicality probably on day zero. Yeah. You know? Yeah. hundred percent. I totally agree with that. And I actually, um, um, doing a lot of chiropractic or spinal manipulation work. Um, I work on quite a few very large animals, uh, horses that are like 14, to 1700 pounds. I do a few drafts. It's hard on my body. And I, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Compared to a pony. I love, I love working on ponies now. (laughs) I really didn't have a preference before, but now I'm like, Oh, you want me to work on your tiny little show pony? Absolutely. Um, (laughs) But yeah, I agree with that, especially with the years of wear and tear. I don't know about you, Keelan, but I definitely have a regular, uh, chiropractic and, and like therapeutic massage appointment for myself. Otherwise I can't function. Same. Absolutely the same. And a stretching regimen. Yes. Mm. I'm so bad about that, but yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Aren't we all? (laughs) Yeah. Yeah, I think um, we kind of had a similar discussion when we had uh, women farriers on I mean, it's the same kind of thing of the damage to the body and, and, you know, how long you can do the job and how smart you have to be about it. So I think that's a really good point for women who are, you know, interested in becoming vets to, to think about and to prepare for. Yeah. And do you think both of you, um, it, it just took time 
to overcome the, you know, the challenges of dealing with clients who didn't want to take your word for things and just making relationships stronger so they could trust you? Yeah, I think yeah. so. Um, you can go ahead, Keelan, you go first. It, you know, yes, it, time, proven track record, relationships. Um, but I, you know, I think feminists have been saying this for years, which is it's not good enough to be as good as the guys. You have to be better. Yeah. You have to be better. Yeah. You you have to do more CE, more practice, be better read on the paper, show up, do a better job, get better results. And that'll get you, that'll get you a place. But, mm-hmm. you know. You still kind of feel like it's never good enough though, sometimes with certain, certain clients. And um, despite the, I have way more experience in terms of years and, uh, you know, um, adjunct therapies like acupuncture and chiropractic and rehab. And still sometimes it's not good enough, but I feel like that's probably one of the reasons why I keep trying to learn more and do more so I can be better. And hopefully I hate to say prove myself, but almost prove myself on Mm. paper to these people. But I have also gotten to the point where I'm like, you know what, if you're not confident in my ability, don't call me. Yeah. That's what I, I was going to say. say that. <laughs> those those yeah. clients will attenuate because they, they attenuate themselves or because we do it for them. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. I think, you know, if you get to a certain point, no matter what your job is, if you've had enough experience and knowledge in what you're doing, and if the people who hire you don't trust you, then, you know, I've, I've said that before as well. Like, why are you paying me if you don't want to do what I say you should do? Because I'm supposedly the expert and here's my recommendation and you don't trust in me to do that then. But then, you know, you also have to be at the point where you can let clients and customers go, right? Yeah. Yeah. It's a a hard balance, I'm sure. Um, Keelan, what made you decide to become a solo practitioner and you know, what did you consider when you were going out on your own? I I can't say that I necessarily set out to become a solo practitioner. I, I think, I mean, it was a while ago now. It was um, 2008 or 2009. Um, I, I think my intention at the time was to just be solo briefly and then to add an associate, you know, very much the um, American veterinarian dream of how to grow a practice. Mm-hmm. And then once I got into the rhythm of it, you know, I ended up liking it and uh, and and sticking with it. But I can't say that I set out to become a solo practitioner with this big sort of decision tree that led me there. Mm-hmm. Um, consideration that that did not cross my mind, and I wish it had, is. I don't know what vet school's like now, but at the time we had 0.0 training in running a business. Like I didn't uh, understand how any of it worked. I didn't understand receivables and inventory and um, financing, you know, and that was um, a steep learning curve. I agree with that 100%. And it's, I, Keelan, I'm not sure what, uh, how big of a practice you were working with prior to going out on your uh, on your own but like we had somebody that did all the business side of things or several people that were doing the business side of things and then all of a sudden you have to figure out how to do it all by yourself on top of seeing appointments mm-hmm. it's, yeah, exactly. it's incredibly overwhelming and at the time I decided to go out on my own I didn't have anybody to talk to to ask questions mm-hmm. um and that was very scary, like trying to figure out if I could remotely run a business on top of being a veterinarian. Yeah. Um, yeah. But, are there, uh, are there um, groups or businesses that can help you do that now since you've left and you've kind of figured it out yourself? Are there resources for other vets now that um, 
that you can recommend to them or that they can look for to get advice if they were in your position? Yeah, I, I think so. I think it's becoming a little bit more of a thing to have like some consulting type businesses. Um, but I have also, um, a couple friends of mine ended up entering solo practice locally. Um, after I did that, they probably did it two to three years after I had already stepped out on my own. So I turned into that person for them. Um, which I wish I had had me essentially. Um, <laughs> but, uh, I feel like it's nice to give back to colleagues who are trying to figure it out and are just kind of at a loss of what to do. Cause I was definitely at a loss and I think I made some mistakes along the way. I'm still here. So I guess it worked out. Okay. Um, <laughs> but it is, it is nice to, to be able to talk to other solo practitioners and get things figured out. I think Facebook has turned into a great resource too. Mm. Yeah, I was just going to say veterinary groups, right? Yeah. yeah, yeah, I was just going to say that equine vet to vet Facebook page. Yes, 100%. those for the most part tend to be a very supportive, a surprisingly supportive yes. community of each other. They're very open with their questions and answers, and that's a bit all. That's what everybody needs, right? Just that someone's mm -hmm. open and honest with their own experiences, and yeah, totally. that's, that's a good resource too. Yeah, we had, I mean, it, it's obviously the parallels between the careers of a farrier and a vet, I think are pretty um, similar in terms of, uh, you know, the trajectory. And um, we talked about the exact same thing, you know, the, there was, um, you know, a woman who had been in the business for decades, and she said the same thing. She was like, farrier school taught me uh, how to be a farrier, not a businesswoman. And but now, you know, she's been a mentor this whole time since. And one of the things that she teaches, um, you know, interns that come to her is how to do all of that business side of things in addition to um, the farrier work. So, you know, I think coming along in, you know, maybe the past decade is that feeling of having to give back. And I think women are kind of leading that in being the mentors that we wanted um, when we were younger. And I think that's cool to hear that you guys are kind of doing the same thing. Trying. <laughs> I know. <laughs> I know. It's how many hours do you have in the day, right? <laughs> uh, not enough. <laughs> do you think that the vet schools are starting to listen to people like you and, and implement more business into the schools? That's a great question. I have no idea what goes on in the veterinary school curriculum at the moment. Um, I had a couple of uh, veterinary student externs um, a few months ago, and they mentioned a little bit of business stuff, but it almost seemed more like personal finance you're graduating with $400,000 in student loans, let us tell you how to deal with that. And, <laughs> you know, so um, I, I don't know that it's so much the actual business finance side of things, mm -hmm. but um, my impression from them is, is there's not enough if there is any. Yeah. Yeah. I definitely think that that can be a little more stressful than even learning the vet medicine part. I mean, you guys are animal lovers, so you have a certain uh, love for it and desire to to learn it and brain capacity for that. And then to throw in like the business side of it uh, seems like that can be a little difficult. Yeah, it's really stressful. It's really stressful because you essentially have to have two full-time jobs. Right. <laughs> The life of the entrepreneur, the work that you're doing and the work that supports the work. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so can we go ahead and talk about your staff? Um, Keelan, do you have staff? I have one vet tech. Um, okay. And that's what I sort of have, have had for years, just one, one tech. Um, 
she helps me in seeing patients in the actual, you know, nuts and bolts of the job. She sets up and breaks down equipment like um, diagnostic equipment and, um, you know, sort of joint injection protocols and everything else. And she's invaluable in that way that that having someone do set up and break down while I do something else um, helps efficiency exponentially. And to get back to that physicality thing, it also helps with that, like schlepping the x-ray machine and everything um, that helps with the wear and tear component a great deal. Um, and she manages inventory and that's all. Everything else um, is me invoicing, um, paying vendors, ordering inventory, et cetera. Everything else is me. She helps with, with the business of practice itself. Um, and that's it. But but it is of tremendous help to me logistically in terms of efficiency. And believe it or not, I think if you have the right person in that, for me, when I have the right person in that spot, it helps the mood of things tremendously. You know, if you have a chipper, optimistic person who enjoys the work, it's really helpful. Yeah. Yeah, I agree with that. Hundred percent. What does your staff look like, Dinah? Um, so I have one uh, part-time vet tech um, who does pretty much the same that Keelan's does, um, as well as being my work wife and truck therapist. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, my chief safety officer. She yells at me all the time when I'm doing very dangerous things. Carefully, though, um, right? Dangerous uh, things carefully. Do dangerous things very carefully. Sometimes <laughs> not so carefully. But um, yeah, so I really don't know where I would be without her. Um, but uh, she also, for some of the rehab patients I have, uh, she will do those treatments for me if, if she's of best use, you know, in the barn treating them like she doesn't need me around to laser or shockwave or whatever. Um, if I have to go run and do some other things. So, uh, I have her, I also have, um, a college kid who does my stalls and, um, she is, I think what all of us used to be when we were younger and very excited about, you know, the barn. Um, she's very enthusiastic. She loves the horses. I mean, we also love the horses, but she's like, yeah, I'll do stalls. Yeah. I could do them at 10 o'clock at night or at <laughs> six o'clock in the morning. And I'm just like, great. Thank you so much. <laughs> I'm not that excited. Um, but it's, it's, uh, I, I don't know what I would do without either of them, especially when I go out of town for work. So, um, it's cool watching, watching the college kid kind of grow and, you know, figure out what she wants to do with her life and still be enthusiastic where we're all tired and cranky <laughs> adulting. <laughs> That's what I was going to ask you about the dynamic of it, having another woman or other women with you. Um, how does that dynamic work? Um, I like having a good group of women um, because it feels like we can figure things out without having some muscle around because there's multiples of us if necessary, but also um, it's just kind of this cool camaraderie that you have with other women and um there's a little different perspective, I think, with a younger person there. Like the other day, um, the college kid uh, was was saying something about middle-aged horse women, and Jess and I started laughing <laughs> because we're we are the middle-aged horse women she's talking about. So, <laughs> um, you know, it's just it's there's a generation difference, and it kind of makes us laugh you know, and, and there's a variety of experiences there and it's just fun having other women that are interested in similar things around together, working totally. together. 
I often look around at the younger women that I know, and I feel very proud of the women that they're becoming because I knew them when they were younger and they were doing IEA or, you know, they were, I babysat for them and, and the things that they're doing. And I'm like, you know what, like, I'm pretty proud of them of, for how they're doing. And, and actually sometimes I am envious of them in the way that they're able to balance things a little bit better. Like they are able to make boundaries a little bit better than like, I know I can. (laughs) Right. Yeah. Yeah. That's That's interesting. And Keelan, how about you? How's your dynamic work? I think, you know, it's been very helpful to me to, to be around other people because the work can become quite solitary, you know, Mm -hmm. it really can. And, um, it it helps, it helps keep, um, morale up. Mm -hmm. It's been, it's a good thing for the most part. It's a good thing. Yeah. Yeah. Sure. It's it's hard being, you know, an entrepreneur working by yourself. And, you know, when I started my own business, I had interns, but I didn't really have anyone working full time with me for a little while. And then once I did, it was so nice just to have somebody to like proofread for me or, <laughs> you know, bounce yeah. ideas off of or, you know, just be able to complain about stuff, didn't have somebody understand. Um, the situation. So I yeah. definitely think, you know, that that helps when you're definitely when you're starting out to have somebody, but um, as the business progresses to have that support there. Um, and so Keelan, you started out, um, you know, working in a bigger practice as well, right? Before you went on your own. I did. So I worked for a four doctor practice and then I worked for a three doctor racetrack practice um, in Kentucky. And that was the step right before going out on my own was that three doctor practice. And what do you think um, is the biggest difference? I know we talked about, you know, having to handle all the business side. Would you say that's still the biggest difference of working in a bigger clinic versus on your own? It may be the biggest practical difference, but it's not what I think of first. Like what I think of first is that that solo practitioner feeling of living on an island. You know, in both of the practices that I worked in, I was lucky enough to work with really lovely veterinarians, and they were always sort of kicking around the office. And you could show them a radiograph and be like, "What do you think?" You know, yeah. and everybody's sort of more than happy to chitty chat about cases, and and I think that makes you good bet. Um, and I think it it keeps you fresh and and I do actually miss that um, the input and and um, ideas of colleagues and there are ways around that I mean we can talk more about that about re- reaching out outside of the practice but it mm-hmm. made it very easy it's a bit like having a roommate in college like at least you have someone who's like literally right there to talk to right. you don't have to seek them. You can make friends in college, but you do have to seek them a bit. Yeah. So who do you rely on now when you need help like that or or you want some input? I have, um, I'm lucky enough to have a, a small handful of friends and colleagues that are um, practitioners like me. And I also think that I I have felt very supported by the specialists in in my area, um, I several of our we have two referral centers in Aiken. We refer horses to um, a private practice in Tryon, Tryon Equine, and we refer horses to the University of Georgia. Mm-hmm. And the um, surgeons and internal medicine specialists at both of those places have been exceptional to me. I have their cell. I can text them a photo. I can send them an image and they'll call me back almost any time of day or night. And most of them are quite happy to chat with humility and interest and Mm. support. And that has been a resource I've taken a lot of advantage of over the last many years and and been grateful to have it. Yeah, that's great to hear. And Dinah, do you... um see a big difference from working in a bigger clinic to working on your own as well? Yeah, I think um, everything 
Keelan said, I agree with 100%. And I am lucky enough to, to have some great, uh, you know, surgeons and internal medicine specialists that are willing to, you know, pick up the phone whenever I do need help. Um, but I think one of the biggest differences for me um, working in a larger practice um, for someone versus by myself is I feel like I have more control of my own time. Um, I'm always busy. It's not not to say that I'm I'm not like working or anything like that. But like um, the one of the reasons, one of the like really triggering. Uh, uh, moments that made me decide to go off on my own was one of my horses uh, had two horrific abscesses going on in two different feet at the same time. Like it was like right front and left hind, like oh, no. literally could not walk. And she's oh. a you know little bit of a delicate flower thoroughbred, so she was literally standing with two feet up in the air. And I was so busy running around doing all the things for someone else. I literally did not have time to soak my own horse's feet because I was always on calls. I was on seeing emergencies after hours. I had to do this. I had to do that. And I was, I can't do this anymore. I can't take care of my own animals. You know, like uh, what's the point? Yeah. So the biggest thing for me was being a solo practitioner. I could make time most of the time, not always, obviously, to to do the things that I needed to do for myself, um, and and not have to ask permission. Mm-hmm. Um, that is a definite benefit of being your own boss. Yeah, and and it just. Yeah, sometimes I don't have the help that you would have with multiple colleagues, but I feel like I have in within the same practice, I mean, but um, I feel like I have enough good friends and people to refer to that I still have almost that that veterinary colleague family around me, even though we're not the same practice. Mm-hmm. Sure. We all try to help each other out. That's great. Yeah. What would make being a solo practitioner better? Taina? I need more time in the day. <laughs> <laughs> Don't we do, all? <laughs> yeah, but I mean, like, seriously, okay, I'm supposed to see, let's say I'm seeing six appointments today. Well, I saw six appointments. I had to drive. Now I have to do six appointments worth of paperwork and medical records and billing. and sending off these radiographs or ultrasound images to someone else to, you know, review or whatever, because I need help. It's a lot. I just need more time. (laughs) (laughs) Is there anything besides being able to make your own schedule that you love about being a solo practitioner? I love being able to stop at Starbucks whenever I want. (laughs) (laughs) honestly or ice cream or whatever you know it's I like the fact that um you know if if uh if I want to do something different in my day whether it is to do with a patient or personally I have the freedom to do that without having to ask anyone's permission um I don't have to worry about Uh, well, you can't do that because such and such needs to happen by such and such time. Well, if if that's the case, that's me telling myself that not, not someone else, not the office manager, not the receptionist and and whatnot. But I I think um, the freedom to adjust the schedule as needed for life, whether it is personal life or work life is, is absolutely incredible about, you know, being a solo practitioner. Yeah. And it's, it's nice when you're driving along and you see a new ice cream place and you can stop and enjoy it if you want. Right. Exactly. Yeah, for sure. (laughs) That's how I feel about my job. I like to pick places. And when I'm driving by, I give myself enough time to like stop and 
look at the beach or, you know, yeah. look at the, the ocean or stop at, you know, a little hiking place in the mountains. So yep. I, I completely understand that. And Keelan, how about for you? What would make being a solo practitioner better? You know what, what I've been thinking about a lot lately is, is empathy. I think the world needs more of it. And I think that what can make or break my day is how, how much or how little empathy I feel like I'm getting from the clients. And it, it's on a lot of levels. It's like, if we tell you we're going to be 40 minutes late because the last one just circled the drain on us, Right. You know, the thing that can help us or me the most is when someone says, it's cool, doc, I got you, you know, mm -hmm. and, and the same goes the other way, like, just be kind to us, understand that when you cancel an appointment on us with 30 minutes notice really messes us up. It has yeah. a huge, be empathetic to the impact that you have on us, be empathetic to the impact that your annoyance or even perceived annoyance has on us, your scheduling changes have on us. Be kind, understand us. And, and, mm. and, you know, I think when a lot of people become very burned out on this profession, and I think a lot of the reason is because sometimes the clients aren't kind. Sometimes the colleagues aren't kind. Um, and it, I cannot tell you how much it helps when they are. Mm. And I would say it's, it's related to what I love the most about the job as well, which is having, you know, been lucky enough to have practiced in one area for 14 years. I have now some clients that have been with me 10 and 12 and 14 years. And I value those relationships hugely. Like, it's crazy to me that I've watched a lot of these people's kids grow up. Mm -hmm. I've watched them break a horse that's now going two star. You know, I I love that like I know everything about their lives and they know a whole lot about mine. Like I love those relationships. I love that that when they have a problem, I am their go-to, not my receptionist, not yeah. my intern, not my boss. It's me, it's me and them in the trenches, man. And there are great parts to that, and there are terrible parts to that, but the great parts are incredible. Hmm. Your yeah, answer is way better than mine. <laughs> <laughs> I also love Starbucks very, very much, as any tech I've ever had will attest to. <laughs> it's a little bit of a habit, right? Mm -hmm. It's one of those things that just gets you through the day, man. Yeah. <laughs> And I think, you know, we've touched on a lot of um, these these ideas uh, for my next question, you know, about what could change in veterinary medicine, because I've heard from vets before and, you know, we had a panel of vets at the Saratoga Women in Business Spectacular Horse Show, and they all said the same thing um, about, you know, getting burned out and leaving large animal to go to small animal because the money's better and they come out of school with huge debt. And it seems like there's all these things kind of stacked against you to, in order to become a successful veterinarian, um, equine veterinarian. And I'm wondering, you know, are there things that you guys have thought about that could change in your industry and um, in order to keep from getting burned out and and be able to stay doing what you love. And maybe Keelan, you could uh, speak to it first. You know, I, I not to sound like a broken record, but I think kindness and empathy have the ability to change the world. Mm -hmm. I think a huge part of burnout, ask these, ask these veterinarians that are getting out, what happened? What happened today? What happened yesterday? And a lot of them will cite, um, problems, butting heads with clients, butting heads with bosses, butting heads with support staff, butting heads with colleagues and, mm. um, you know, referral uh, specialists. And the truth is, if we can all be a little bit kinder to each other um, and support each other better, the burnout is going to be less. Mm. And 
I don't think the money is an insurmountable object if people feel okay about their work and feel good about their work. And I think it needs to happen and change on every level. I think we need to treat each other as veterinarians with kindness. I think when, when an not regular colleague calls me and not sorry not when a not regular client calls me and says i'm a regular client of dr x dr x is at the beach can you see the horse my job is to say absolutely see it with a smile on my face and then send it back to dr x on monday and and if dr x can do that for me consistently if we can all do that for each other Instead of being catty, instead of being an annoyed, and instead of, God forbid, trying to snake the client, mm-hmm. um, it will help. It will yeah. help if we can all help each other to have a life, you know? And I think the same from the clients. When they call up and come to find out Dr. X is at the beach or I'm at the beach, be okay with it. Yeah. Your your health certificate really can get done by someone else. <laughs> yes. And I will be back on Monday right. and, and you need me to go to the beach so that I can survive, totally. you know? And I think it's just knowing that and being aware that, that we are people too. Our colleagues need to be aware. Our support staff needs to be aware. Our clients need to be aware. And if we can all be respectful of what it takes to keep us all in it, I think it's, it's survivable. Mm-hmm. Dinah, how do you feel about it? Is there things that you think could change or help? Yeah, I mean, I, I definitely agree with that. I think um, kindness is probably one of the biggest things from both clients and colleagues. I mean, for for those of us that that have left large animal or equine practice, it's never the horses. Never, ever is it the horses. horses. It's the people. It's the people that burn you out. And it's taken me a bit uh, to learn, but I think one, and I'm still not, I still haven't learned it well yet, I guess, but boundaries, being able to set boundaries in veterinary medicine. Like I have it set on my phone, unless it is an emergency. Um. I'm not going to respond to your text or your phone call unless it's Monday through Friday, 8 a.m. to 5 p.m. And you have to train your clients. Like, you know, because a lot of them are used to, oh, well, doctor, we'll use Dr. X. Dr. X responds at 11 p.m. at night. Oh, no, Dr. Dinah is not going to respond at 11 o'clock at night (laughs) or 5 o'clock in the morning. I don't care if you need your health certificate that you just thought of today that's not that's not an emergency for me mm-hmm. um you know and i do have some amazing clients that i will bend over backwards for but there is still a little bit of a boundary there because that's that's how you get burnt out you have people pulling you in all directions at all hours of the day and night um and i i think because of technology these days everyone is used to instant gratification and if mm-hmm. i text someone at three o'clock in the morning, I should get a response back. Um, I don't think so. You know, like I'm just, I'm not doing that anymore. I used to do that and I was super unhappy. And now that I have boundaries and I'm, I have most of my clients trained very rarely does that happen. And I think it makes your life a lot easier, but I do think that um, being able to set boundaries is is very important and in that regard i also try to respect everyone else's boundaries as far as colleagues go like i'm not gonna you know text them or whatever super late at night unless it's an absolute emergency but that's why you know you have the on-call service and and whoever's on call can reach out to you i'm not gonna you know, bother a random surgeon because he's my favorite surgeon or she's my favorite surgeon, you know? So I think it goes both ways, like respect other people's time and um, be kind for sure. Mm -hmm. Yeah. 
And I, I think I'm not sure that if our listeners really understand this, but being that I'm in the pharmaceutical industry, I know that there's this big push for not one more vet. And we're pretty involved in that because there is a very high suicide rate for veterinarians. Mm-hmm. And I think that that we really need to, as clients of veterinarians, think about how we are treating them so mm-hmm. that we can be part of prevention and not part of the cause. Yeah. 100%. 100 yeah, Thanks for bringing that yeah. up. I know that's a definite issue that the industry is dealing with. And like Keelan said, you know, just the kindness I'm sure goes a long way with people who have long days and, you know, being a vet, I'm sure isn't easy and always having to deal with animals in distress. That's that takes a toll on you. I'm, I'm sure it does, um, but I really think it's more the people. Yeah, in my case, anyway. Um, I actually lost one of my very, very good classmates. We used to study together all the time to suicide um, a few years ago, and it was because of people not respecting. Um, time boundaries, whether or not he set those boundaries, I'm not entirely sure. Mm-hmm. Um, but it was also, you know, people complaining about the cost of everything mm-hmm. and, yep. and, you know, like, oh, well, you're nickel and diming and it's so expensive. If you really loved the, the horse, you would do this cheaper or for free. <laughs> and like, oh I'm gosh. sorry, my love for, for these animals cannot pay my bills. Right. I, I pay my employees more than I pay myself because that's the way it works when, when you're a business owner, you know, like I'm, I'm able to pay my bills and I'm very thankful for that, but I'm not doing this to get rich. Yeah. I never will. I think you're exactly right. And I think, you know, the question was a little bit, well, people are leaving the profession because the the hours and the pay are bad. I, I don't think anyone cares that much about the money because if I look at veterinarians that I know, none of us are living like kings. None of us have a private no. island. You know what I mean? Like yeah, everybody, totally. but, but unfortunately, bills have to get paid to just allow us to stay in it. Right. right? You yeah. know, and, and that there's no way, there's no way around that, but no one, no one got into it to get rich. And I don't know anyone who is rich from, (laughs) I know, you know, people who have done well as, as they deserve to have when they've grown big practices or whatever else, but I don't know anybody who's, who's private jet rich lighting cigarettes with hundred dollar bills. No, absolutely not. You know, you know, the nicest most successful. Yeah. Yeah. the, The nicest thing I've done for myself is I just got a brand new that truck that has heated seats and a heated steering wheel. Cause I'm working in New York in the winter time. And like, I feel like I'm splurging on a Ford that has heated yeah. seats and a heated <laughs> steering wheel. So you bought yourself a piece of veterinary equipment in essence. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. A business expense. <laughs> going to yeah. thaw me out when it's negative five degrees mm. outside. <laughs> Girl, I could not do it. I'm crying at 50. <laughs> Same. Well, that's why I go to Wellington once a month to thaw out. <laughs> uh, I know that each of you has some ventures besides just being veterinarians. So can you talk a little bit about that? Keelan, you want to go ahead and start? Yeah. So um, several years ago, I started a business, Medica Veterinary Products. I was um, frustrated with skin conditions, skin diseases in horses that I was treating in practice. I felt that we had no good over-the-counter treatments for rain rot, scratches, post-clipping bumps, facial hair loss, tail head rubbing, everything that happens on the skin. Um, you know, we could get prescription steroid creams made up as veterinarians, but you can't show on them. They're not accessible mm-hmm. over the counter. They're very, very expensive. Um, so I saw this hole and went about trying to fill it. 
and formulated a line of natural ingredients products that um, help to treat these skin conditions. And it's been um, an amazing ride. I've, I've had a great time learning this new business and, and getting it off the ground. We've been very lucky. It's been operational for about a year and a half now. And I've been um, shocked by sales and growth and all of these things that um, have been really rewarding. It's a bit, I think it's a bit like raising a child, right? You see them grow up and, and you're a bit amazed that they can walk and talk on their own, you know? <laughs> and um, So that's been, Medica has been a very, um, a very cool hustle for me. Cool. I love that stuff, by the way. I just recently was uh, given one of the, the Medica shampoos to try, and it's amazing. Oh, so my gosh. I will send you, guys... you some more. Oh, okay. <laughs> I'm not going to say no yeah. to that. <laughs> but, like, I have a, I have one of the horses in my barn um, has very sensitive skin and just, like, weird funk. No rhyme or reason to it. And we gave him a bath with that shampoo, I think, you know, two days in a row. And his skin funk immediately cleared up. It was absolutely incredible. Absolutely incredible. Oh. So... Here's a plug that. for the Medica products. If you guys don't have them, <laughs> go buy them because they are I amazing. That's great. Thank you so much. And we have that lotion is a good product for New York in the winter too, because it doesn't require bathing. It works exactly like the treatment wash, but you can put it on dry and it does a great oh, job. Cool. With that. Give them a bath. Awesome. That's awesome. Thanks. <laughs> and and Dinah, I know you you have a new venture. It's kind of a big undertaking. You want to talk about that? Yeah, I'm not really sure if um, I'm stupid or <laughs> <laughs> or have um, the ability to uh, to see the potential. But right now, I'm going to go with I'm stupid in <laughs> <laughs> doing this. Uh, so my very, very dear friends um, and landlords are uh, retiring from the horse farm that I live on. They have sold it to someone that is uh, keeping it a horse farm. And she, as well as my current landlords, uh, asked me to manage the farm. Um, hmm. So it's going to be a lot. I have... Um, I think I have great staff, so we're going to make it work, but it's going to be uh, some borders uh, that are already here. And then I'm going to add a couple rehab clients to it um, because I have a couple rehabbers coming in, but um, managing an 80 acre farm should be really fun and or stupid. I'm not really sure which yet. <laughs> You're going to need some more stupid. enthusiastic college girls. Yeah. Um, you know, I think I might have just found one. So cross <laughs> my fingers. Hopefully, uh, hopefully it all works out. But um yeah, so I uh am doing the boarding rehab thing on the side of a regular, well, integrated vet practice anyway. So nice. I don't think it's stupid. I think it's great. And I can tell you a, a lot of horses that I've you know, been done the vet work for um, injury rehabs and wished I had daily access to them. Mm. I think yeah. that's a huge, it makes a really benefit. big difference. There's, I have one particular, uh, he is now kind of uh, stuck with me for life, I suppose. Um, his owner is too afraid to move him. He should be dead right now, but he is pasture sound. Um, because everybody thought he was not going to, you know, make it to even, even leave a stall ever. And he is pasture sound. And I know the only reason that is the case is because his owner said, whatever you need to do every day, do it. Hmm. And that daily care and rehabbing makes the biggest difference for some of these horses. Mm-hmm. Well, that's so exciting to hear that you both, you know, have something, um, you know, outside of your veterinary work and we're so excited to see it grow and, and, and be successful as well. Um, 
Yeah. So at the, at the end of each episode, um, we have the same questions that we ask each guest, and Connor usually starts with the first. Okay. So Dinah, what is one action that women can take to make a big difference in their lives? Learn to say no. Yep. I like that. That's I really, really think, um, you know, if you, if you say yes to something you're like, Oh, I don't really want to do this. I'm not, I'm not, you know, I don't know what I'm going to be able to do it. It's going to be too hard. And you start resenting that decision. Yes. Why did you do it? Yeah. Just say no. You might feel guilty about it for 0.3 seconds. And then you're like, oh my God, I don't have to do that. This is awesome. Yeah. So I think learning to say no is really important. And I have definitely gotten a lot better about it. And I think I am happier for it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And Keelan, how about you? I would say to sort of borrow a Sheryl Sandberg bit is lean in in the beginning. Don't plan your career like you want to back out of it later. Jump in with both feet, buckle down as hard as you can. And I think, I hope that that will give you the leverage and the credibility to be able to say no later. Yes, absolutely. Lean in at first. Don't plan on half doing it in 10 years. I completely agree That's with you. That's true. That's true. I agree with that. And um, Keelan, what is the best habit that keeps you motivated personally? Riding my horse. Mm -hmm. It is the center of my universe, my horses and my dogs. I do the little low level jumpers and that adds a bit of sort of necessity and structure to Mm -hmm. it. Like I got, I got to ride my horse. You know what I mean? And, And that keeps me, keeps me motivated. It helps me set boundaries with the work because it is a huge priority to me. Mm-hmm. Um, I love it. I mean, I'm, I'm a long ways from jumping a Grand Prix, but, but even the little low level I do it at is super helpful to me. That's great. And, um, Dinah, how about you? What's the best habit that keeps you motivated personally? Uh, since I cannot ride my horses right now, cause they're broken. Um, <laughs> I cannot agree with that statement, but I have a little bit of a weird one. Um, I have this large mirror in my bathroom that I have a whole bunch of like inspirational quotes or uh, mantras, you know, just written down. And um, I read every single one of them every day, morning and night while I'm brushing my teeth. So it's just kind of a little bit motivational, but like reminding me that, I do not have to break world records today. It's fine. <laughs> you know, stuff like that. that. Highly That's recommend. Awesome. Highly That's recommend. very cool. That's awome. What's your favorite horse movie, Dinah? Uh, sea Biscuit. <laughs> yeah. And Keelan, how about you? National Velvet. Oh, oh I love uh, yeah. that yes. movie. Right? Oh, I forgot about that. Yeah. Oh, my God. <laughs> The pie, absolutely. That's a yeah. classic, <laughs> oh, <laughs> right? <laughs> yeah. And Keelan, who would you recommend to be a future guest on this podcast? I would recommend my beautiful friend Julia Wendell. She's been in a lot of different aspects of the horse business, but she's also a published author, and I think brings a super interesting twist because of being an artist inspired by her life in the horse business. Mm-hmm as well as having actually been in the horse business for many years. Awesome. I have two people. Um, Dr. Amy Grice, she used to be a partner at Rhinebeck Equine, and then she retired um, to start a veterinary business consulting type um, practice. Mm-hmm. Um so she's like super business oriented and has like lots and lots of good advice for, for, you know, solo practitioners as well as larger practices. And then the other one is um, Dr. Patty Hogan, who um, is like probably one of the few women I will actually like turn myself inside out fangirl over. I think she's absolutely incredible. And she has built this amazing practice um, 
and has a really great uh, um, what, what's the word? Um, she donates a lot of her time and and services to off track horses, which I think is absolutely amazing, both standard bred and thoroughbred. So she's really involved great. with with helping off track horses and is a successful businesswoman as well as amazing surgeon. So. Awesome. Well, thank you so much guys for joining us. And, um, and we really love talking with you and learning more about what you do. And I think so much of, of what you um, spoke about relates to any kind of business that um, someone can have. So uh, we appreciate your time and um, your candor in, in this conversation. Yeah, thanks, thanks for, for having us. us. Yeah, awesome. thank you. Awesome. Thanks, guys. I really love talking to Keelan and Dinah today. Um, and I really enjoyed how candid they were about their businesses and you know the the challenges that they have in running them uh as solo practitioners. Yeah, I think that most people don't realize, you know, how much it takes to be a veterinarian and you know, what they do and how they run businesses, because sometimes even in the big practices, you know, we, we walk in, we get what we need done and we leave. And so to be able to kind of peel back the curtains and say, these are what we struggle with. I think it's good. So then people can kind of carry that on when they're interacting with their vets. Mm -hmm, for sure. And like Keelan said, like have the empathy for the job that they do. Um, and you know, the difficulties around it. And um, it was interesting to see so many parallels with the farriers that we spoke with, you know, in terms of not being taught how to run a business when they're in school, you know, they learn how to be a vet and not how to be a business person. And um, I really think that needs to change and there needs to be more information for people before they come out of school. And so they're learning, you know, some basic, you know, bookkeeping and business management and that sort of thing. So they're better equipped to actually be a vet and everything that comes along with it besides just treating the horses. Yes. And there's so many different levels to their businesses, right? Because their main focus is treating the animals, but then they have all of these other things that they need to get done to run an actual business. And I also think that uh, an important part that they touched on was about wellness and taking care of themselves. And mm -hmm. I mean, I think that that's big in, in most businesses because many times we're all doing so many different things and running in so many different directions that we forget about that part. And I think especially for people who are so physical in their job, I'm yeah. thinking specifically like, like trainers and riders, um, and people who work in barns, you know, a lot of times you just keep pushing through and you know what, there's, there are services available out there for you that maybe you can't afford to do it all the time, but maybe take the time to spoil yourself once in a while to, mm. um, you know, help with your general wellness. And I, I know that's something that Dinah really, she does a lot because she wouldn't be able to do her job and she yeah. does it much better by, by taking care of herself. Right. And I think, you know, there's that saying like for, for new mothers or mothers in general, like you have to take care of yourself first, because if you're not healthy, you can't take care of your baby um, and your family. And I think that should be not just for mothers it should be for you know people in business like you say like they have to take care of themselves or they won't be able to do their job to the best of their ability whether it's physical and mental you know we we touched on the on the topic of suicide in in the veterinary profession and how high the percentages and that's really scary to think about and you know Dinah herself even had a personal connection to somebody that that happened to and you know being able to say I've got to take care of myself first at some point you know that needs to be the number one priority 
Oh, absolutely. And, you know, I actually, when my company has dove into supporting this, it's called Not One More Vet. And I'm I'm really happy that they did, but we had somebody who had worked with us at the company who did commit suicide after he'd left. He'd been gone a couple of years. So it, it even reached me and affected me mm-hmm. in knowing, you know, somebody that, you know, I I spend time with. And so I do think that people really need to think about how they're interacting with veterinarians and not just on the equine side on the animal mm-hmm. side and I know it's expensive but you have to understand how much that it is costing these people and you know what it's not ne- maybe necessarily their fault at the cost you know there's they have right. to purchase it from other places right? right so there's a you know there's a whole long line it's it's kind of like the whole medical system healthcare system in the US right it's right <laughs> it, 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 it there are some issues so you know I think that um, the the more conscious you can be about how you treat them and approach them because they really are trying to do the best for your animals. They didn't spend all that time in school um, right. to, to do the wrong thing. They really do want to do what's best for you, for your animal. And so, you know, I think that it is scary and I do think that wellness is a big part of it. And I think that everybody in business can kind of take from that and say, okay, you know what, let's not go down the road of the veterinary industry that is having all this burnout and having all these issues and, and be a little proactive and start, you know, taking care of your wellness part of it, whether that's mm-hmm. a massage or a therapist, either one, <laughs> you know, yeah, totally. So anyway, I, I did, I, I really thought it was a good chat. I really thought it was they were very open and, you know, really gave us a sense of what it's like to be in the their business and running mm-hmm. a business and so much transfers to everybody else's business. Exactly. Yeah, it was great. Yes, it was a great chat today, but we're running out of time. So on to the next. Find the links to today's guest and the show notes at www.eqbusinesswomen.com. Equestrian B2B is out twice a month on the 1st and the 15th. You can find out more at eqbusinesswomen.com and follow us on Facebook and Instagram. Find Equestrian B2B wherever you get your podcasts and be sure to follow, subscribe, and leave a review. You can have all 20 plus shows of the Horse Radio Network with you wherever you go with their free app for iPhone and Android. Go to your app store and search Horse Radio Network. Now, go be kind to your veterinarian. (laughs) 